Welcome to Rationalist, ladies and gentlemen. We're back. It's me, your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm here with the one, the only, the maniacal Eddie Matthews. How are you doing today, Eddie? Pretty good. <laughs> you Parked on the side of the street, <laughs> sweating in my car. Ah, oh, dude, are you sweating because of global warming? Because that's what we're here to talk about today. Or are uh, you just out of no, shape? I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating because this is guerrilla podcasting. <laughs> And because uh, we're too poor for to afford studios and quiet spaces. I like to think that that's how we play ourselves off, but really we're in like a super nice studio that's paid for by viewers and, and listeners all over that send us to our Patreon. <laughs> um, just yeah, thousands well, of that's what, donations. I, that's what I was going to say when in our last episode when we talked about D.B. Cooper. And you said, what was it? Currents, non non American, <laughs> negotiable was it? American currency, <laughs> negotiable American currency. If anyone wants to donate negotiable American currency non- toward the non sequential bills only, though, we've got we're up to some non sequential cash <laughs> money that cannot be tracked. Sent to Morgan Seattle Drive, that's it, comma that's Seattle, dude. Now, Washington. all of the groupies and stalkers from the show are going to come after me, but it's all right. I know, I have to move Jeez. off Seattle Drive. <laughs> uh so why did you want to talk about global warming slash climate change well i'm here to make global warming cool again <laughs> We, we're gonna have to cut out so many bad puns in this episode. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay, my thoughts were: we can't contribute anything to global warming discussion in terms of scientific knowledge or any sort of facts that are going to be, you know, illuminating to our audience in that sense. But what I do want to talk about, and what I want to pitch this to you, that was kind of your take: is like we don't have anything to add. But I think what we can add is a discussion about the debate around climate change and how it gets in the way of policy prescriptions to what I think we both feel is a pretty cataclysmic uh, event and ongoing problem for the environment and you know global communities everywhere. The reason that climate change has become such a litmus test for your willingness to accept expert opinion is because the data is actually pretty confusing. So this is one of the reasons that I think the discussion around climate change gets so complicated, is that it's pitched as either it's a 1% increase in the climate, which doesn't sound like anything to a layman, but also if you look into the actual science behind it, I took a class on this in undergrad, which is a ways back, but it was actually really confusing, and maybe part of that is the fact that I'm not amazing at math and calculus and types of statistics that were necessary for that class but I came away from the class thinking yeah sure I I still believe you I just don't (laughs) know how to do the math and when you pitch it to me as being extremely obvious it should really be pitched as look we have done a lot of work in this area and we can assure you that the mass amounts of evidence are piling up in favor of the fact that the globe is indeed changing and it's going to have drastic consequences for everyone. Yeah, I guess by data, I don't mean like that everybody should look at the raw data because you wouldn't know how to decipher it at all. I'm, I guess I mean just to like read the reports mm-hmm. and the consensus. 
Yeah, but I mean, trying um, to get people to read a, a report that doesn't mesh with their worldview is one of the problems that we face much bigger than, well, maybe not much bigger than climate change, but at least involves a lot of issues beyond climate change as well. Well, then the worldview should be adapted, right? <laughs> so, I mean, so that leads us into our discussion about climate change today. The kind of nexus between this discussion about adaptability and the actual consequences of climate change and the idea that the entire world is just going to end and end in a fiery ball and everyone's going to die, which I feel like are the two ways that it's discussed. Either we're going to be fine and we'll figure something out, or either that or it doesn't exist, or everyone's going to die. And I don't think pitching it in either one of those ways is constructive for the development of a consensus. Yeah. And I guess it should be also noted that, like, we... Well, at least I'm not arguing that the Green New Deal is some panacea fix-all for the problem either. Like, it's a really complicated problem, and one comprehensive piece of legislation to me isn't going to solve it. Um, but I think that at least that comprehensive piece of legislation's taking the problem with like the amount of severity that it calls for. So can you yeah, walk I us think... through why the uh, apocalyptic narrative that something like the Green New Deal might sort of conjure is, uh, I guess, both inaccurate and counterproductive. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily inaccurate, specifically the Green New Deal. You can see things like in Europe, the recent European parliamentary elections had huge gains for the Green Party, which their main platform is to combat climate change as a European community. Um, and it showed that young voters voted overwhelmingly in favor of the Greens for the first time in history. Um, and it shows that people do care and people are finally coming around to the idea, especially young voters, the idea that climate change is a problem that we need to address now rather than later on when it's too late. Um, the We can get into the specifics about what the consequences of global warming are, but most of it has to do with, it's an exacerbation of current geopolitical and social problems rather than the remaking of the globe into some sort of, you know, environmental hellscape. Um, and it's terrible. It's probably the biggest challenge facing the world as a global community today. And it's one that our political systems and social systems are extremely ill-equipped to face. If you think about democracy, which is, I think, by, you know, especially our estimation, by, by many people's estimation, the best system for keeping global peace, the term limits and the idea that long-term solutions and collaboration between countries to problems is not prioritized in those systems poses a massive problem to investment across regimes and across different uh, ruling coalitions for the combatant of climate change. So if we can get into, we can, do you want to get into some of the specifics as to what the actual world will look like if we don't adapt and what the possible adaptations will amount to. Sure. So when you read, we read an article, because we did so much research as usual, just, man, we don't get paid enough for this. <laughs> Negative dollars. I know. We need some more non, 
Was it negotiable American currency? We definitely do. Non- no, I think it's negotiable. I would think non-negotiable. Well, we have maybe non-negotiable. We'll take any type of currency. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just be for our mental well-being. So we read this article called What Are the Effects? Are the Effects of Global Warming Really That Bad? And the short Why don't we start that, by defining global warming, which this article does really well, like the the kind of uh, analogies it uses? Of course. So I think one of the, the problems that we can get into right away is just it probably shouldn't be calling it global warming. So we're already messing up in terms of our own critique. It really should be called climate change because then you get people saying, look, it's cold outside. What are you talking about? But isn't global warming better for uh, like scaring people? See, I don't think so because I think in the no. end, people are more willing to go along with an idea that they believe is being truthful to the facts. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's backed up with evidence. The more you try to strain, so so basically, when I when I worked in healthcare, the idea was that if you wanted someone to do something once or in, over a short period of time, scare tactics were the best. You can scare somebody into doing something over a short period of time, and it's pretty effective. This is a, a common demand generation technique. But if you're trying to incite actual behavioral change over a longer period, scare tactics fade very quickly especially in the face of something like this that is long term because as soon scare as you... tactics <laughs> scare tactics seem to be working pretty well for the Republican party in the short term well see i mean if you can it helps when you can constantly switch what is scaring you over and over again but if you're right. trying to get people to do a specific thing like alter their behavior to combat climate change right and you're saying look we're all going to die soon and then soon comes and you're not all dead right or even yeah, I can see slightly that. things have slightly changed, then you're starting to lose credibility in a way that you can't afford if you're trying to incite massive behavioral change. So I really, I don't think that scaring people is necessarily the best tact. I think it's trying to get people to realize that this is a reality and that the world is moving in a specific direction and that we have a chance to confront it before the really detrimental consequences, deleterious consequences take effect. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to define climate change, basically the, uh, going off the, the, um, analogies the article uses is basically this, uh, these CO2 emissions accumulate at the top of the atmosphere and create a sort of blanket that then causes the, uh, temperatures to rise because the air's the heat's trapped, and then it causes uh, wet places to become uh, wetter and dry areas drier, right? In a yeah, way that is unprecedented, and also uh, that the commu- that the local communities like haven't don't have the infrastructure to handle. Yeah, I think that's that's a good summary. I think that the the key point there is that if you think of just global warming, you're not thinking that wet areas are getting wetter, cold areas are getting more snow, but that is actually the predictions of global global warming or climate change, is that it basically makes climate differences more pronounced in a way that's where our infrastructure in particular is ill-equipped to deal with. Right, and so they're talking about, like, part of that is you get these floods, these droughts, these wildfires that cause, that are worsening and causing more damage, so they cite how, um, Basically, from 1980 to 2015, the damages averaged 5.2 billion in disasters, adjusted for inflation. 
And then from 2011 to 2015, you see an annual average cost of 10.8 billion. So effectively doubled. And that's adjusted for inflation. So that's frightening. Especially if, since we're really, I mean, if we continue to deny these things, it means we're not adapting our infrastructure and equipping, equipping our communities with the resources. And we're specifically talking about the U.S. And so this is, we can get into the geopolitical consequences here, but there are actually countries in the world, which is, people don't talk about, that would actually prefer global warming take place. And so you're not only fighting against people that are denying it, but there actually are countries on this earth that are in favor of climate change. Like where? Russia, for one, would be hugely advantaged if the earth were to warm by three to four degrees. Right. Not only would it allow for you know greater instability, which we'll talk about, but Russia, I don't know if you've, you've ever, ever uh, looked at it on a map, but it's very cold. I've tried, I try not to. <laughs> and a lot of the land in Russia is unusable for pretty much anything because it's so cold. And Russia also has a lot of claims to the Arctic Ocean in the north that has lots of oil reserves and other sorts of finite non-renewable resources that it would be able to tap into with much greater ease. If- I think that's... I think that's what bugs me about Putin's incursions into Ukraine and Syria. It's like, dude, you have so much land. <laughs> Use it. Well, okay, so this, this actually is a good point. So Crimea, the reason why Crimea is such an important geopolitical location for Russia is not simply because there are a lot of you know, Rus- people with Russian bias in Crimea. It's that it actually allows them to enter the Atlantic Ocean at a point that they didn't have. If you think of the entire landmass of Russia, they actually have very few ocean access points into the Atlantic. And so just like that, if the Arctic Ocean were to become hospitable to travel, which global warming would predict, then Russia would suddenly be a much greater marine power than they are now. And they're not the only ones that would prefer this type of warming. And so when we talk about the consequences, it's that they're unequal. And so if we say the world's going to end and everything's going to be terrible, we're overlooking the fact that some people are actually in favor of this and that we're going to need collaboration to come to some sort of conclusion that allows for compromise. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that Republicans should be in favor of addressing climate change, that this should be like a um, bipartisan issue is that Republicans, um, how should I put this mildly, tend to not have a taste for illegal immigration. (laughs) And so for, uh, you know, areas like Central America potentially becoming hotter, more difficult to, let's say, um, produce the same agricultural output to use like I don't know, a low-hanging fruit example. <laughs> Another bad pun. Um, it's only just going to cause more migration. Global warming, climate change, is only going to cause more migration because um, it seems like the parts of the world that are going to be disproportionately adversely affected coincide with the parts of the world that don't have the infrastructure um, to meet like the changes as they occur and maybe also... Um, are just wetter or hotter or 
kind of like already a little bit more naturally inhospitable just uh climate wise or biome wise and then uh for them to not i guess to be met with an unprecedented change that the communities who have learned to make life there that those tactics that they've learned to make life no longer are effective for sustainability then uh that's when you have even more migration than there has been right absolutely so i mean it's easy to pitch improvements and adaptation to global warming to people that either equate the lives of people overseas equal to those domestic or at least see the is as an important feature of American policy to address these issues. Because the so the thing about the malaria outbreak in, in Africa and other places around the equator, the uh, malaria used to be in the United States and it was eliminated I think around the turn of the nineteenth century as well as it was in, in parts of Europe and, and in Asia. <laughs> and the, re- the fact that it still exists in poor countries is because the infrastructure and the, uh, the impact is just not there. People spend, the U.S. medical companies spend more money trying to solve male pattern baldness than they do neglected tropical diseases that kill millions of people. Right. And so when climate change comes about and these areas are affected disproportionately, it's hard to go along with the idea that we're suddenly going to become even more palatable to foreign aid and yeah. <laughs> and well and to also of, uh, think that places like the US and China um in the industrialized parts of the world are are disproportionately adding to the problem right like that's obvious right Absolutely. And I think this is one of the biggest problems is that as countries like Nigeria and Brazil become more industrial, the U.S. and the U.N. and China have tried to pose restrictions on the amount of fossil fuels they can use up and try to set standards. And, you know, it's really hard to get that across because people would obviously see the hypocrisy there. Um, But there there is, I mean, so I want to touch on a couple of things. I think the, the most important thing is what you said, that it should be pitched as an exacerbation of social issues that will occur. The problem with global warming is largely going to be a, the problem we see today with immigration, migration, places in the world becoming inhospitable, and the Western countries needing to either contribute to the growth and development of inclusive institutions in the global south, or become more willing, either more willing to accept refugees from countries affected by climate change or more militant to keep them out. And neither one of those is anything I think conservatives or even anybody on any side of the spectrum would want to have be a larger problem than it needs to be. Well, we already know the more accepting towards refugees strategy is not going to work. So I think yeah, I think that's I think that's the shift that uh you know, the liberals in Congress need to make is don't pitch this as we're saving future generations from undue impact 
although that's true. Don't pitch this as a moral responsibility, although that's true. Don't pitch this as any sort of like ethical obligation, although those are all true. Pitch it as the things that you hate are going to get way worse if we don't address this, you know, exactly. to the exactly. other side of the aisle. Yeah. And that's so because illegal that's immigration, well. um, spending money on disaster relief, mm-hmm. uh, you know, adding to the deficit, spending billions of dollars uh, that on preventable. Well, well it's hard to say that well, natural disasters, natural disasters aren't inherently preventable, but the... The response and the preparation for them. The is, response, preparation, yeah. and also, I mean, it seems like the data shows that the the frequency mm-hmm. is preventable. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I it's mean, going to contribute to a continuing growth in hurricanes and tornadoes and pretty much every terrible thing you can think of. Um, right. And, and also air quality, which is something we overlook, but that will affect everyone no matter where you are on the globe. I mean, if you picture, you see images of Asian countries where people wear masks over their face, that's, that's the type of thing that we should be imagining. It's not that everyone's going to die. It's that you're going to have to adapt to things in ways that seem unthinkable today. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how you have to, always in terms of the, uh, I th- it seems like conservatives respond more to threats and liberals well, I don't know. What do liberals respond to? Songs. What? <laughs> Maybe we can write a song. I mean, liberals are already responding to this issue, so it's it's more about help having liberals prioritize this issue over other issues, I would say. Yeah, maybe that's the thing is that like the the downfall of liberals in in meeting climate change isn't necessarily not taken seriously enough. It's not having a coherent enough strategy to combat it. Yeah, and I don't think they've come up with a plausible strategy. I mean, the the Green New Deal is a step in the right direction, but even that seemed like it was kind of thrown together amidst a fervor for more It does seem like policies a... than anything cohesive, but maybe that'll be the start of something something The Green New Deal didn't I, Who are the faces of it? Bernie and AOC? Mhm, pretty much. Those aren't I don't Your know. boy Booker, like scientists. On board. We need scientists to be the faces of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, I, I know that's not really possible because scientists aren't in Congress. But in, I don't know. It, it's hard to make to it be... a partisan issue. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. Global. But climate you make change, it a partisan issue. Is not partisan. You make it a partisan issue when the two faces of it are the most like progressive partisan people. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when it becomes politics, you end up with a stalemate that. And that's the thing, is if you're going to adapt to climate change, it can't be half the companies adapt better strategies while the other half pollute more than ever to make up for that space that's vacated in the market. It has to be a wholly adapted, top-down influence that is backed by the grassroots. And that just is so far off that that's the challenge. How can you not make it politics? Like I mean, partisan. Everything. You can make it politics, but you can keep oh. it from being partisan. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. seems like that problem of partisanship's here to stay for a while. I think it would be easier if, like you said, we pitched it as a, a problem with sovereignty and immigration rather than in the idea of you know, catastrophic 
lung failure. But who knows? Um, so, I mean, I guess the question remains, where should it be on the priority list for, let's say, the... Um, Let's say, let's say, let's not even put it on the presidency. Let's just say when Congress meets um, in, I don't know, January of 2020. Let's just put it on Congress. Where should it be on the priority list? I mean, I think it shouldn't be any further down than the top three things that we have to face. Coming up should with be some sort one? of cohesive strategy. I could I could certainly see it being number one. I think the nice, I mean, the benefits, we've been talking about the negatives of how to approach this and why it's such a challenging issue to turn into policy. But the positives are that it, it incorporates a lot of other areas like immigration, like air quality, like better education, things that can be wrapped into this for more actual change in, in policy all around. Not, it doesn't have to just be that we're adapting to climate change. It can be that we're actually re, you know, maybe some sort of New Deal type policy that goes and redoes our infrastructure, creates jobs, and yeah. makes the U.S. economy more sustainable in a way that also combats climate change. So it doesn't necessarily have to be on its own. But I think, yeah. th I think that's also a problem is that it's been isolated as we combat climate change, we don't combat climate change. It should really be, well, we're addressing healthcare. We also need to incorporate an aspect of sustainability. Yeah, I think that's a good, um, I think that's a good way of framing it is sense of, so it's priority number one, but it's a very, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a hugely multivariate problem, right? So I guess the idea there being you create a coalition, a bipartisan coalition surrounding jobs creation, industry surrounding preventing these types of um, these types of disasters. Hopefully there'd be bipartisan support for um, I don't know less less lobbying from unethical oil companies, mm -hmm. although I don't see that being bipartisan either you know i mean i think um, the, there have already been policies pitched like carbon tax which was originally yeah. pitched by republicans and now is opposed by republicans because they're against everything climate change but that sort of policy that meets halfway where it's it's incorporates capitalism and business aspects but also addresses the fact that these are actual issues in the economy and that they can't go you know, these, ex these negative externalities that are being produced cannot just continue at the current pace. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe the other thing about this is that maybe it helps with some of the foreign relations, like makes it, maybe it helps us get out of bed from Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing is that it's really difficult to argue that domestic energy sustainability is a negative. Right. Right. It gets us a lot less involved with entangling um, corrupt, like, regimes overseas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the investment that we have, I mean, since the OPEC crisis, the OPEC embargo in the 70s, 
it's been very evident. We've had to build up tons of reserves. That's the reason why the U.S. is sustainable in natural gases is because we shifted our priorities over to domestic production. And that took about 20, 30 years to come to fruition. If we did the same thing we did then and we recognized this as a crisis, the problem is that the OPEC embargo was not gradual. It was an immediate reaction that affected people all over due to gas prices and gas hikes that we saw. Global warming hasn't had the same sort of direct effect. But there are, I mean, I think that this might be, it might be the case that it takes something dramatic to make people realize. I think recently, did you see the shutdown of the PG&E uh, shutdown of electricity in California this last week? No. So PG&E shut electricity to 600,000 buildings Wow. Um, in California as a preemptive measure to keep wildfires from starting because it was getting so hot over the, the weekend. Wow. And it ended up, I think, at least one person died because they were hooked up to electricity for air machines and air quality. Um, and so this is the type of thing that's going to become more and more evidence. And I hope that it doesn't take anything too disastrous to snap people into action. But sometime in history has shown, like, you know, wars, that things like that may be required to really make people recognize the actual problems that have come about. Well, this is the point of doing things like talking about these issues and talking about politics and talking about ideas. Like, this is the whole point, right? So that it doesn't have to personally impact you to see that uh, legally owning an AK-47 is a terrible idea. You don't have to see, you don't have to see your six-year-old child get shot in their classroom to understand that this is a horrible, like backward, insane thing. Right? You're just, you're just trying to piss off as many conservatives as possible on this pod, huh? We're going to lose half our viewers. <laughs> no, but yeah. I think you're absolutely correct. We Any, need to do an episode on guns anyway. There, we, we need to do honestly, an episode Honestly, I have a lot of sympathy for a lot of conservative positions. I know it probably doesn't come across that way on this podcast, but <laughs> like, I constantly say that we need good conservatism, and that's why I'm so harsh on this current administration and mm-hmm. what the Republican no, that's Party absolutely is. absolutely fair. And what the Republican Party subjected itself to. The Republican Party's not... Like, this is why Joe Walsh was running, right? And he's like, it's not a conservative party anymore. This is why John McCain's wife said, like, Mm -hmm. my husband wouldn't recognize this party. This is why... uh, If Mitt Romney had more of a backbone, he would speak up more. So, I... Like... Mitt Romney, lots of... Oh, Paul Ryan and, like, the whole people that know behind closed doors that it's a shit show, but don't have a spine to talk about it publicly? I mean, I'd say it's the majority of... Who? I would say it's the majority of the Republican side of Congress. Right. That fits, yeah. So, uh, the reason... I mean, so yeah, all that said, but, I mean, the gun control thing, it's another topic. We're not talking about it I was going to say, we're we're not going to be able to shoehorn that one. The AK-47 thing. Anyways, it's a tangent. No, I I um, think you're absolutely right. We, uh, We can get into the intricacies of that. We should. We should do that soon anyway. Um, so yeah, I have, now I'm thinking about guns. But yeah, let's get back to, to global warming. Do you have any final, final thoughts? Well, it's hard not to be really pessimistic about the idea of there being bipartisan reform made about something that's not like pressing tomorrow. Like... 
it just doesn't seem like we're mature enough to plan for that far ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think that doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but I agree. One of the things that I do think is the silver lining to this is the way that the younger generations really have taken this on as something they truly care about. I know Corey, who we need to have on the pod because all this crazy stuff about China and the NBA and Blizzard, I think he would be interesting to talk to. Um, yeah. Have you, uh, man, we should do a whole episode on the NBA China thing. But the he when I remember I asked him not that long ago about something that was unrelated to, I asked him something about the future, and he's like, oh, do you think we'll all be around by then? And it was like 40 years from now. And I was like, man, is that how pessimistic kids are? Like, they think we're literally just going to be gone in 40 years. And that's, I mean, I think that's good because it'll, it shows that they actually see these things as, you know, very physical challenges to the well-being of the world. But, uh, I mean, it's scary, and I feel bad for the mental health aspects that comes along with that. But maybe that will, like it has in Europe in the last year, lead to actual change as these kids grow up and our generation has let them down. (laughs) Yeah. I hope our generation doesn't let them down. It's really hard to figure out what what the millennial generation is going to look like once we're running the government. It's true. Like, it's really, like, at this point, we've pretty much solidified what the identity of the baby boomer generation is because we've seen the baby boomer generation run government at this point. And so we know how they conceptualize the world, Mm -hmm. but we don't really know how millennials conceptualize the world yet in terms of governing. Yeah. So So that will be really interesting. And it could go either way. Like, we could do a worse job than previous generations, like... I mean, if we don't regulate social media companies, we might not even know how to communicate, you know, once we start governing, you know? Yeah, I I mean, I think that in terms of climate change, millennial generation in particular has shown that they believe in climate change, they think it's a problem, but they have yet to really prioritize it in a way that I think the younger generation has, or at least seems like they're going to. And that might be a shift in terms of this topic, something that we'll see um, over the next decade or so. Uh, but well, yeah, I mean, it's we we're still the millennials are still young and still really haven't hit peak uh, peak government and peak uh, influence. So we'll see what happens when that when that comes about. Hopefully, we'll judge twenty twenty. Judge twenty twenty. Your boy. He's my boy, man. Um, Did we we solve climate change? So we solved the D.B. Cooper crisis last time. We figured it out. Now we're solving climate change. When are we going to get hired? How many more episodes do you think we're going to be able to do before we get top secret clearance? uh, Hired by whom? (laughs) Just the people who do top secret stuff, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, probably soon. It depends on the non-negotiable American currency. Ne- negotiable American currency. I'll take either one. I, I'm still, I think having <laughs> a bundle of non-negotiable American currency would be pretty cool as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, should we give a shoot. call out to some people right in? Tell us your suggestions. Are you going to have Sandy on the pod soon? Yes. Sandy said he I would to love on? to, I would love to 
yeah, have more suggestions. The DB Cooper episode was a suggestion from Oliver. Hey, so well, that thank was you, cool. Oliver. There you go. Um, it is hard to think of things after a while that aren't uh, either just so kind of like over talked about or that are too niche, you know. So yeah. well, I do think we need to do ideas. one on gun control, like you, because I had some stuff to say there. I think we, we would. I think we would take a similar discussion on gun control like we took on climate change where we wouldn't talk about yeah exactly you know the main things that people usually talk about and just parrot those kind of ideas already we would just talk about why there's such a disconnect and um one of the main things i want to bring up so people can see if this is an interesting idea but how over 80 percent of gun deaths in the u.s are suicides which I don't think is talked about at all. I think most, you know, you see the mass shootings and things on television, but the gun crisis is very heavily tied with mental health and suicide, much more so than mass shootings. Well, that's another thing that pisses me off about Trump being like both, uh, and not just Trump, the Republican Party, both skirting around, like appeasing the gun manufacturers and saying like, oh, it's a mental health. Like these, these people are are psycho who are doing this. It's a mental health crisis, but then not addressing yeah, yeah. the mental well, health crisis that they purport to blame. Well, when he says the, it, I think he's picturing mental health just being like, oh, it's crazy people. <laughs> like, I think right, that's his yeah. version of mental it's health. It's probably not than, terribly sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. So we could talk about that in more depth. Um, what else did, I feel like we had another episode that we wanted to do something on. Oh, the, I, I want to do one on gamers and maybe the, maybe the NBA before the NBA starts. We can have Corey yeah. on to talk about just the gaming industry. I heard that they spent $500 million to make a game the other day. I read that somewhere. I was like, man, I do not know enough about this industry. <laughs> and with all the uh, the stuff coming out about how Blizzard, which is one of the companies, kicked out this uh, one of the best players. This is I'm really scraping the barrel for my knowledge of gamer stuff, but it was yeah. really fascinating. And I was like, we need, to have, we need to have somebody on to talk about this. So hopefully we'll be able to, to get Corey on. But, uh, That'd be yeah, great. Pitch us your ideas. Anyway, until next time, folks. Later. Peace. Recycle. <laughs> Reduce, <laughs> reuse. Listen to the rationalish. Those yeah. are the three R's.